You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Good morning, everyone. Can you hear me okay? Word is out. Good news from Zion. I'm going to read Psalm 87 uh, to begin this morning. Psalm 87. There's only seven verses, so it shouldn't take too long. He has set his foundation on the holy mountain. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are said of you, O city of God, Selah. I will record Rahab and Babylon among those who acknowledge me, Philistia too and Tyre along with Cush, and I will say this one was born in Zion. Indeed, of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her, and the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord will write in the register of the peoples, this one was born in Zion, Selah. As they make music, they will sing, all my fountains are in you. It's a terrific psalm, isn't it? Uh, It really is a lovely psalm this morning. You notice there's a subscription. Some of the Bible show it and some don't, but there's a subscription at the start. And it says, a song, a psalm for the sons of Korah to the chief musician upon Mahalath Leonoth. And that just means with dancings and shoutings. You know, as we've been singing and worshipping God this morning, there's been a real sense of that, isn't there? Of dancings and shouting before God when we consider all that he has done for us. The Korathites were sons of Moses' cousin, Korah. And you'll read that in number 16. Unfortunately, Korah, the dad, led a revolt against against Moses and came to an untimely end via a sinkhole. Now, we in Bowness are fairly familiar with sinkholes because over (laughs) time we have noticed that one or two of them decide to open up from time to time. Thankfully, we try not to walk around that area at that particular time. But the children of Korah, they survived and they went on to serve God. Isn't that good? They were musically gifted. As Jehoshaphat goes to war in God's name, the Korathites are singled out for their singing before the battle. Again, you'll find that in 2 Chronicles 20, 19-22. As they sung and praised God, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. The Lord set ambushes against the enemies, and they were defeated. Many psalms are attributed to the sons of Korah. 42, 44, 45, 6, 7, 8, 9, 84, 5, and 87, and 88. They held the office of doorkeeper or gatekeeper. You especially see this in Psalm 84, verse 10, and I'm sure it'll be very familiar to some of us here. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Now, only a Korathite could write that, couldn't he? As one who was 
um, given the responsibility of being a gatekeeper or a watcher of the door. This is a psalm sandwiched between, obviously, 86, which is the psalm of the loner, and the psalm 88, which is deemed to be the psalm of the leper. But, you know, God has got a habit of coming into our circumstances, whether we feel lonely or whether we feel cut off, whether we feel in the far country, and he brings a beautiful sense of his presence. Good news in Zion. Welcome good news when things get tough. The springboard to this could be found in Psalm 86, 17, where the psalmist could say, Give me a sign of your goodness that my enemies may be put to shame, for you, O Lord, have helped me and comforted me. There are times when all we can do is cry out to God in our loneliness, in our cut-offness, and just cry out to God, God, give me a token, give me a sign of your goodness. The psalmist could say, I I desire to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. First little point would be his dwelling. In the start of this psalm, it says, he has set his foundations on the holy mountain. You know, when God starts something, he means to go on. It would be crazy to build a building or raise a building up and not have adequate foundations. Watched a documentary from Holland recently where they were going to put an underground under um, Holland. And of course, it's all water, isn't it? As they started to excavate underneath, then buildings either side, they did it under the roads, and the buildings either side of the road started to lean in because they were scooping out the substrate underneath the buildings without realizing it, and they had to stop and make some rectification work. And with the help of lasers, etc., they were able to rectify the buildings that had started to, to pull in. Years ago, they were just a fell down and we <laughs> built them again somehow. My grandson and I had the privilege of watching the workmen laying the foundations of the new Scott Mid at Jemison Avenue. Now, Ruri, Ruri loves the diggers and he loves the dumper trucks. So it was a job getting him round there to the news agents to get the, the newspaper. He was holding onto the fence, wanting to watch the digger, which is one of his favourite words. As he scooped the soil out into a massive dumper truck, ready for the cement and reinforced rods to be laid in. In actual fact, Jerusalem is built on the tops of five mountains. Now, David and Margaret would be able to talk much better than me about this. But Moriah, Zion, Ophel, Scopus, and all of it. It is 2,500 feet above sea level. These hills are the foundation of Israel. An invading army must first thread the, those passes and climb the rugged hills before being confronted by well-impregnable walls. I was thinking about this, and I thought of um, God's servant Job, when God challenged his servant, and he said to him, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? And he says to Job, and Job had plenty of reason to complain, he says to him, Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand who marked off its dimensions. Surely you know. Who stretched out a measuring line across it? On on where was its footing set? And who had its cornerstones? While the morning stars sang together 
and all the angels shouted for joy. That gives us a little insight, isn't it, as to how God works. Wonderful, wonderful picture. He has set his foundations. Secondly, he loves the gates of Zion. You know, the Korathites knew all about that, didn't they? But I think they were the right men for the job. And they understood God's heart. And they could say, you know what? God loves the gates of Zion. Gates to keep bad things out and let good things in. He loves to bring his people out of their existing life and into new life in Jesus Christ. I am come that you might life, said Jesus, and that more abundantly. Not only did this city have good foundations, not only did it have somebody who loved its gates and seeing folks come in, but it had a great reputation. It said, glorious things are said of you, O city of God. And the kids used to sing a musical years ago, and the chorus of it went like this. Tracy, you'll remember this. Heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. I want to see my Savior's face for heaven is a wonderful place. It has a great reputation. It's a place where we want to be um, at the end of our race. Here, I said that I didn't even realize I was going to rhyme. <laughs> Jerusalem's most prominent feature is the temple site. When Titus demolished Jerusalem, he left one segment of wall to show future generations what massive strength the Romans had overcome. A lofty portion of this wall, and I can say I've been there, I've stood with David here to my left, known as the Wailing Wall, stands above the ground, dwarfing the worshippers in the plaza at which it fronts. But what is seen is a mere tip of the iceberg. Down below there's a further 60 feet of wall buried in the rubble of the ages. The workings of the archaeologist looked like a coal mine with shored-up shafts and strung-out safety lamps. As far down the wall as it continues, it looks intact, having been protected by debris from the weather of the land. Out of common sight, it shows the glory of a hidden place. Friends, eye has not seen, neither ear heard, Neither has it entered the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But he has revealed them unto us by his spirit. Untouched by this, the ravages of time, they are ours in the name of Jesus Christ. Couldn't Jesus say, in my father's house there are many mansions. I go there to prepare a place for you. So first we see his dwelling. Secondly, his writing. God is no stranger to writing things down. We often find in Scripture the, the term, the finger of God. You find that in Deuteronomy 9.10. The Lord gave me, Moses says, two stone tablets inscribed by the finger of God. Remember Belshazzar in Daniel 5 he took the sacred objects from the temple and used them at one of his wild parties. They drank wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, etc., 
and suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall. Daniel was called to interpret the writing. And it meant this, God has numbered the days of your reign. You've been weighed in the scales and found wanting. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Paul could later say, you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of your ministry written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on the tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Isn't that lovely? God writes in your heart. God, there's a, nobody else can see it. Not even I can see it. Not even you can see it. But God says he writes on human hearts. Remember Pontius Pilate. Ob- objections of rulers previously. In fact, his wife, thank God for her wives this morning. Pilate's wife sent him a message. Don't you have anything to do with that innocent man, Jesus? For I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. The objector said to Pilate, Don't write king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Of course, good old Pontius Pilate had had enough of the lot of them. And he says, I've had enough. Well, he didn't actually say that. I'm paraphrasing. (laughs) I bet you felt like that. (coughs) What I have written, I have written. You know, God says the same over your life and mine this morning. What I have written, I have written. And there may be objections. The enemies of our soul might say, you don't know what he said or what she did. Or what she, what you thought, what she thought, yeah. what they didn't they do that they should have done. But God says over your life and mine this morning, I have written what I have written. We move on. I will record Rahab and Babylon among those who acknowledge me, Philistia too and Tyre, along with Cush, and I will say. This is God speaking. Isn't it incredible? And I will say this one was born in Zion. Good news from Zion this morning. Indeed of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her and the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord will write in the register of the peoples, this one was born in Zion. God writes over your life this morning, this one was born in Zion. I will record Rahab, Egypt, the country of the Exodus. I will record Babylon, the country of the exile. Nations who were steeped as the persecutors of God's people, as those steeped in false religion, God's grace abounds towards those who were former enemies of God. I'm glad about that this morning, folks, because I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for God's grace. I'm ashamed of the things that I have said and done as a young man before I came to faith in Christ. I'm ashamed of some of the stuff that I still say and do, but God's grace covers it all. Where sin abounds, his word tells me, there does his grace much more abound. 
Philistia too, worshippers of Dagon, half man, half fish. Folk will worship just about anything these days. I wouldn't have one of them in my living room for all the tea in China. Half man, half fish. The idol who had been given a shove by the Most High God after the Philistines had stolen the Ark of the Covenant and put it beside their pagan god Dagon. And of course, in a contest between the true and living God and Dagon, Dagon must fall. <coughs> and friend, whatever is in contest in your life this morning, for your attention, for your allegiance, before the Almighty God, it's like Dagon, it must fall. It must not looked a pretty sight when its head and arms fell off and there was a torso lying in a heap on the middle of the floor. But God's grace extends to those who before were former idol worshippers. Whatever idols you and I may have had or perhaps still have, they must fall before Almighty God this morning. And he still loves you. He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I will record Tyre, it says in the psalm. Tyre was a commercial capital of the then known world. It was said Tyre was impregnable and wicked beyond words, with a religion spawned in hell, and yet where sin abounds, God's grace does much more abound. Cush or Ethiopia, that was the furthest away. You'll remember the Queen of Sheba had come to test the wisdom of Solomon. She had come with all her great ideas. My goodness, haven't we all got some of them? God, I've got a good idea. As I've said many times before, I used to say that to one of the managing directors at the company I worked in. I said, I was just thinking, David, he says, ah, that's what worries me, Ian. He says, I don't pay you to think, he says, just you do the job and everything will go tickety-boo. I was just thinking. She had come with her great ideas. But God in his great mercy removes the scale from her eyes and opens her up to realize that God is all in all his grace. And you know what? We might be like the Ethiopians far away. They were the furthest away from Jerusalem. And yet God calls them near like the prodigal son who had decided, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get everything that's due me and I'm going to go to the far country. Yeah. And what we all know the story. It's so familiar to us. But while he was there, God's grace chased after him. We sing that song, don't we? Your goodness, your goodness is running after me. And God ran after that prodigal son. And suddenly, I love that part in Scripture, and suddenly he came to his senses. And then he started to put his words, I'll say this, I'm no more worthy to be called your son. But you know what? He didn't get a chance to say the next minute, make me one of your higher servants. As soon as he, as soon as he told his father you know, that he wasn't worthy to become his son, the father stopped him. You're my son. You're no my servant. You're my son. So no matter if you're from Ethiopia this morning, no matter if you feel as though you're a million miles away from the purpose and plan of God, the Lord will write in his register, this one 
was born in Zion. Write it down, the psalmist says. Record it in the register. The past of Egypt, the power of Babylon, the pride of Philistia, the prosperity of Tyre, the remote position of Ethiopia. The Lord will write in his register, this one was born in Zion. His dwelling, his writing, and lastly, their singing. Verse 7 says, and who couldn't make a song? It's lovely to hear Simon's song this morning and to join and sing along with it. It's tremendous. But it says there, and as they make music, they will sing, all my fountains are in you. When Jesus met the woman at the well, Jesus answered her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into everlasting life. All my fountains are in you this morning. We'll sense something like that in the time of worship this morning as we begin to sing, as we begin to open up to worship the true and living God. Then we have this sense of an overflowing uh, expression of our worship to our loving Father. Thank God the Holy Spirit comes and helps us to give, um, give that to us as we seek to lift up the name of Jesus with dancings and shoutings. God will write, this one was born in Zion. They will sing, God has saved me from a past life. You feel that song this morning? At the house group on Tuesday, we were taking some of Tom's notes <coughs> and taking some of the head. Don't think we got past the first one, did we, of the eight? How did we come to Christ? Something like that. And it was just amazing as everyone started to open up about how we came to Christ. They will sing, God has saved me from my past life. They will sing, God has saved me from the power of idolatry. They will sing, God has delivered me from my awful pride. They will sing, God has brought me back from the far country. Therefore, with dancings and shoutings, I wish I was more expressive these days in my worship to God. Sometimes I think I'm awful stoic the older I get. I try and blame it on 65-year-old legs, but I don't know if that's the truth. <laughs> All my fountains are in you. Out of the abundance of my heart, I must sing. I must give glory. I must magnify the God of my salvation who has loved me with an everlasting love and brought me into his family, the church. I was listening to Ian White a little bit this morning and he made a comment in one of his videos. And he said this, if something moves you so deeply, you sing about it. That's true, isn't it? You ever wakened up in the morning and you... You, you sing a song. Where did that come from? 
or you go to your bed and you can't get to sleep, if somebody started singing a chorus or a song and it's going round the mind. I remember saying this eh, once before, but Samuel McKibben, when he was a pastor at Aberdeen, was saying they had used to have a time of sharing and this gentleman came in. And of course, when he heard people sharing freely in the Sunday morning service, he thought it was, ju- it was good to bring a wee song. So he started, she'll be coming round the mountain <laughs> when she comes. But you know, when God does something in our hearts and lights, it generates a song, doesn't it? To the God who has saved me from my past, saved me from the power of idolatry, saved me from my pride, and saved me and pulled me back from the far country. He has brought me near. Paul could say, and you who were once far off, he has made near. Isn't that lovely this morning? God has done it for you by his grace. The word is out. Good news in Zion. Men, this is from the message version actually this morning. The word is out. Good news in Zion. Men, women, right and left, get born again in her. God loves the gates of Zion. He's still calling, come unto me all ye are weary and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. God loves, he gave the Korites the responsibility to be his gatekeepers and watchers of the doors, and he's given us responsibility to be gatekeepers, calling men and women and boys and girls to come and know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Men, women, boys and girls, right and left, get born again in her. God registers their names in the book. This one, this one, and this one are born again right here. Singers and dancers, give credit to the God of Zion, for all my fountains are in you.